Well, hey, you might be feeling this morning like there's a little bit of deja vu going on. Uh, You're looking up on the screen and you're seeing the circle of God's will. Where have I heard that before? Well, listen, if you were with us in July, we did a four-part series on this very topic. And man, we went deep, we went wide, we went high, we went low, talking about what this means, this circle of God's will. Well, check it out. You're going to get a bonus track today. Kind of like a special edition. We're going back to go a little bit deeper because when I was on vacation and I was reading in our 260 reading plan, and I hope you're reading like, you know, Monday through Friday, one chapter a day through the New Testament with us, 260. When I was doing our 260 reading with you, I came to the book of Jude. Now, you'll know if you were doing the 260 reading, the book of Jude is only one chapter long. But man, when I read it, I was seeing this is all about the circle of God's will. It's even showing me more about this idea of, of, of uh, being embraced in the circle of God's will and what he has for us as we step into the circle, as we live in this. And so today, I'm going to invite you to take a look at the book of Jude. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jude. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can go to your smartphone, go to YouVersion, open up a Bible on your smartphone, and go to the book of Jude. One chapter long. Now, if you weren't with us in July, and you're, you're not really kind of familiar, familiar with this idea of the circle of God's will, let me just bring like a, just a 60-second recap. We believe that God's will can be known that it's not a mystery. That, and, and, and why a circle? Because we're not talking about like the technical definition of a circle. And I looked it up. We're not talking about an actual circle, a closed two-dimensional figure in which the set of all the points in the plane is equidistant from a given point called the center. That's not what we're talking about. Did you know that's like the technical definition of a circle? I didn't know that. I had to look it up. We're not talking about a literal circle. We're using the idea of a circle as like imagery to say there, there's a boundary that God has established. And we can find the boundary as we read through the New Testament of like what is in God's will and then what's outside that boundary. What are things that God has said that is not to be part of your life as if you're following after me because that's not part of my will for your life. There's, so there's actual boundary ideas that, that we find in scripture and, and it helps us to define am I in God's will or am I living outside of God's will? And the beautiful thing is that as we step into relationship with Jesus, we get the opportunity to step across that boundary from living my own life to living the life that he created me to live. And that's what we've been exploring um, in July. And now we're going back to be refreshed on this. So, hey Jude, (laughs) don't let me down. (laughs) Jude. Now, it's only one chapter, so, so when you, when you, we're going to put up some scriptures, and it's going to say like Jude 1 and 2. That's verse 1 and 2. Here we go. 
He says this, he says, I am writing to all who have been called by the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more. I love those words. Every time I see those in scripture, man, I just like, more and more, Lord. More and more, more and more. May God give you more and more mercy. More and more peace. More and more love. I want you to note a few things. We're just gonna leave this scripture up here for a moment and I want, I want you to, to like look at some of these words. He says that he's written to all who are called by God. See, each of us has this calling. Each of us has been invited. Hey guys, God is saying, step into the circle of my will. Quit living out there in the darkness. Come into my light. I have so much for you. Step in. You are called by God, friends. Just as surely as I have been, we are called ones, called out. And then he says this, he says, the Father loves you. Isn't that good to know? This is something that, that I think a lot of us get wrong. Many people, especially before they put their trust in Jesus, they see those boundaries like, these are things that like God doesn't want me to do anymore. He doesn't want me to live out here. He wants me to live his way. And we assume that those boundaries are like these restrictive things that are like designed by God to like steal our, our fun, you know, to steal our joy. God just wants me miserable. That's why he, he just wants to have his thumb on me. Listen, those who have those perceptions... I want to be really kind the way I say this, but they just have a super immature view of who God actually is. They just don't know. You know, almost like a young child who's struggling with parental authority, you know, like, oh man, my parents just want to steal away my fun. They just want me to be miserable, right? And then we kind of grow and mature a little bit and go, oh Maybe some of those boundaries the guy that my parents were putting on my life was actually because they loved me. They were caring for me. They did not want me to be miserable and to suffer the pain maybe that they even experienced in their own life. The more that we get to understand who God is, we understand that this boundary that he has placed around us is actually some of the best representation of his love for you and for me. We are loved by God and we can trust his love, friends. Isn't that good? And then it says this, the father keeps us safe. Not only does he love us, but he keeps us safe. In fact, if you have a place to put notes, circle that or make a note, highlight that because three different times in this one chapter, Jude is going to talk to us about this idea of safety. And, and the picture that, that I have as I was thinking about this is that that circle of God's love is actually like, can you, can you just like picture God's arms forming this big hug, this big protective encirclement 
of like our lives. This just big hug, this like, no, I want to embrace you. This is like, this is my love and it's to keep you safe. See, because God designed you, that he's our creator, each one of us, that, that God uniquely formed and fashioned us, you know what? He knows what's going to work in our lives and what's not going to work. And he does not want us to suffer. He does not want us to go through pain. He wants us to like be safe, to protect us, to provide for us, to give us all that we need to thrive in him. And guess what, you guys? It's that circle of his will that, where we get to experience that, where we get to experience, guess what? Check, check this out. He says, here's, here's what you can expect when you're living in that place of my love and my safety. Mercy, peace, love. Mercy, peace, and love. Now, you probably like have a pretty good idea of what it feels like to be at peace. You may even have a really good idea of what it feels like to be loved. What about mercy? What about mercy? It's interesting to me that he starts off with, you need to experience more and more mercy when you're living in this circle of God's will. More and more mercy. What is mercy? Check this out, you guys. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. It's when I don't get. It's kind of like the, the sister idea to grace. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is like the flip side of that coin. It's not getting what I do deserve. Listen, if you're honest with yourself, and again, this comes with some maturity, but when you're honest with yourself, you realize I'm pretty jacked up in a lot of areas of my life. I got stuff in my story, in my history, maybe even in my present that I'm embarrassed about, that like I, I wouldn't want everyone to know. There's brokenness and there's literally sin that has been in my life. And, and, and you know what? The wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. So what do I deserve? I deserve death. I deserve the death penalty. But you know what mercy is? It's the removal of the penalty. We don't get <laughs> what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. Ricky, you don't get what you deserve, bro. Michael, you don't get what you deserve. Susie, you don't get what you deserve. Come on. Praise the Lord. And you know what? It's so interesting that he says that we should be experiencing more and more of that mercy. Is it because we're worse and we're worse and so we need more mercy? And now, Listen, I believe that it's that as we grow in our knowledge of God's love, that we recognize deeper and deeper, more profoundly, how merciful God has been to me. That every day I'm just more astounded by his mercy. God, instead of penalty, Lord, you, you've given me life. You've given me family. 
given me a job, you've, you've given me kids, you've, you've, you've given me so much, and even when life has been hard, every single thing that you have given me in your grace is because of your mercy, because I don't deserve any of it. Undeserved. Thank you, God, for removing the penalty. Circle that word mercy, because again, in Jude, that's going to be a reoccurring theme that we're going to see pop up again at the end of the chapter. So then he goes on, kind of these introductory thoughts and where I really saw the circle of God's will all over again. And it's in verse three that he says this, dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. Well, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to have read Jude's thoughts on salvation. He said, man, I was wanting to write to you about salvation. In other words, all the good stuff that like we can experience living in the circle of God's will, like when we stepped into his saving grace and said yes to Jesus, Jesus, you are my savior, you've forgiven me, I'm living for you, and that's our salvation, right? That'd have been good, but something has come up because now he says, but now I find that I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. He'd wanted to write about salvation, just the goodness of God and his faithfulness and man, maybe his death and his, Jesus' death and resurrection and how we can put our trust and faith in him. He'd wanted to write that, but something came up and he said, no, I've got to write about something else. I'm writing you this short letter, but it's a powerful letter to urge you, urge you to defend the faith. Listen, one of the ways to think about this circle of God's will, have you ever heard the concept, the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Man, when we read through scripture, we see that over and over and over and over again. I mean, like over a over hundred times through the New Testament alone, we see these ideas of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, even the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God's kingdom. One of the ways to think about the, the circle of God's will, this is the kingdom of God, Right? So every time you read, when you're doing your 260 reading and you come across an idea about the kingdom of God, you can highlight that and go, oh, I'm learning something here about the circle of God's will. Very cool. This is some, he's teaching me something about how he wants to, me to live in his kingdom. Well, guess what, friends? Kingdoms all have boundaries. Kingdoms all have boundaries. Just like this idea, the circle of God's will, you know if you're, if you're in the kingdom and you know if you're outside of the kingdom. You, you just know because there's boundaries to a kingdom. Make sense? And guess what? Kingdoms have those boundaries and you know which area needs to be defended. I, I don't go out there and defend that kingdom. No, I'm living in here. I'm living in God's kingdom. This is the territory to be defended. And he says this, he says, this is so worth defending. Because, wow, I want, you, I want you to see a couple of things. He says this, he says, God, go ahead and put that scripture back up, please. He says this, 
He says that God has entrusted this faith to you once for all time. Say once, once. for all time. In other words, there is no other faith. There is no other gospel. There's not going to be another Messiah to come. His name is Jesus. Like once for all time. Friends, there is no plan B. So defend plan A. Because this faith is the only faith that we're going to be given. Secondly, he says this, we're to defend the faith. Now, you may be reading a different version of the Bible. There's, there, many of them say, like, contend for the faith or fight for the faith. But, but listen, the idea here, and I like this word defend. I think it's accurate. Because the idea here is not that we're to go outside of the circle, go outside of the kingdom, and look for people to pick fights with. The idea here is not that we're to be some like aggressors of the kingdom. The crusaders. And if you know anything about the crusaders, it's not a good look in the story of the kingdom of God. It was horrific. You know your history. God has not asked us to be crusaders. He's asked us to be defenders. to hold the line, to recognize, no, this is really important because there is only one that's been given. There's only one faith. There's only one Jesus. There's only one gospel, friends. We're to defend it. Why is this? Why would we be called to defend? And this is where he goes in verse four. He says, I say this, and go, ahead, go to verse four. He says, I say this, say what? Defend the faith. He says, I say this because some ungodly people, hmm, say ungodly people, have wormed their way into, the, into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude is raising a warning. And let's go ahead and just leave that scripture up on the screen and let's meditate on it for a moment. He's raising a warning that there are some people from the outside, like living lives of darkness, who have somehow, it says, wormed their way in to your fellowship, into your churches, he says. One of the, another translation says this, that these people have crept in unnoticed. Another translation says, they have secretly slipped in among you. And right now you're like looking to your right, looking to your left. <laughs> Not you. Is it me? I don't know, okay. Jude calls these intruders the ungodly. Now, right there, you may have a problem with that. You may be one of, you, you may be one of those people that's like, hey, Jude, mm -mm. I, I, don't, I don't think you should be labeling people. Why would you label someone? You heathen, 
right? <laughs> you ungodly. Because labeling always seems to like lead to being exclusive. Like we're better than. We look down upon. Right? And, and I think that there's maybe some merit to that conversation. Like maybe that's something we should talk about. Is this circle of God's will exclusive? And if it is, does that also mean then that we are unable to be inclusive? Two words that are talked a lot about in our culture these days. Exclusivity, inclusivity. How does that work when we think about are you in or are you out? Have you stepped in or are you still outside the circle of God's will? Listen, I want to tell you that God's kingdom is exclusive in the very best ways possible. In the most beautifully exclusive ways. Now listen, when you read scripture, you find out pretty quickly that Jesus was very unapologetic about being exclusive. He was very unapologetic about it. And he's God. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive statement. He's very unapologetic about that. And, and we could say, man, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. Well, can I tell you that in, in some areas of your life, you probably really, really appreciate exclusivity. Listen, if you have a home you live in, right? You're not homeless. You live, live in some place where you can close the door, hopefully lock the door. You probably like that being rather exclusive. You probably like, no, 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 you out. Okay, you guys in. You out, you guys in. Family, okay, most of the time. <laughs> Your home is like exclusive to you, right? In the best ways possible. If, if, the, if, it was, if we just lived it like completely inclusively, there would be no safety, which I think Jude was talking about. Yeah, there's an exclusivity to that. What about your marriage? You know, you read some... People in Hollywood live this life. We have an inclusive marriage. What? You're weird and you're broken and you are living outside the circle of God's will. Because you know what? I don't share my wife with nobody else. Guess what? My wife, she don't share me with no other ladies. No one. It is exclusive in the very best ways possible. One of the things we read about in the New Testament is like this idea of water. Jesus, I'm the living water. James talks about water, like that there can be polluted water or pure water. I'm really exclusive about the water I drink. How about you? Anybody like go to Mexico like I do every once in a while? Do you drink the water out of the tap? No way. Why? I exclusively drink bottled water when I am in Mexico. Why? Because the polluted water is going to make me sick. It's not safe for me, which I have experienced, which I will not go into. <laughs> but it's horrific. It's exclusive. There's an exclusivity there. 
in the most beautiful and best ways possible, and it's out of God's love, and it's out of his heart to offer protection and safety to us that there's this exclusivity. Does that mean that we can't be inclusive? We're gonna get to that in a moment. (laughs) The ungodly. Very interesting phrase. I don't like it when people label others. I don't think that labeling is very friendly. Well, you know what Jude does? Maybe he anticipated that because what he does for the most of the rest of the chapter, from the end of verse four all the way to verse 19, he explains what he means. He explains why that term, the ungodly, is actually appropriate for people's lives who've chosen to not step into that circle of God's will, that place of salvation. And and so I want to just highlight, I I want you to read the whole chapter and go back and and look to see in verse 4 to 19 all the different things that he says about these folks that he's called the ungodly. But let me just highlight a few things to your attention. I'm going to do this really quickly. Verse four that we already looked at said this about the ungodly. They have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They have actually denied him. They're not neutral, right? These aren't people that are just like trying to find their way um, and like exploring things. And, and, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're someone who's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to church, but I'm checking things out. I, I, I can't say that I fully stepped across that boundary. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember a time that, that I actually said yes to Jesus yet. This is not who he's talking about. He's talking about people who have actively said no. And, and I like the phrasing even that he uses. They've denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen, so much of this comes down to the lordship and the authority of Jesus. If God's word is true, there's only one way that like we see. Like what Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you can't come to the Father except by putting your trust right here in me. Right? Very unapologetic about me, and I, which I like because God's will is not a mystery. It can be challenging to say yes because it means that, oh, if he's Lord, then I'm not the Lord of my own life. Oh, wow. If he's Lord, then when I say yes to him and step across that boundary, I'm living with the reality that there's these boundaries around my life, things that I can't do anymore that I used to do. It's challenging to surrender to the authority of Jesus. But these people have not done that. And not only are they still kind of pressing in, thinking about, no, they've denied that. They said, no, we are choosing to live outside. In Jude 12, verse 12, he says, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, ah, they're like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. He's saying, friends, you got to realize that 
that when these people are like, you're, you're inviting them in and you're welcoming them into your story in these intimate ways, like these most precious places of sitting and sharing, not just like getting a meal together, which by the way, if, you read, if you're reading in 1 Corinthians in our 260 reading, you're gonna see, no, that's okay. We, we can like eat and have meals with people who have not said yes to Jesus yet. That's a really good thing. But what we're seeing here is that when, they're, when, when we're inviting them into the very most precious points of our faith, it says, guys, you gotta realize that, that they're like, what does it say? Dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you I was reminded of something else that Paul had written to the Corinthians when he said, bad company corrupts good character. Like, man, man, our closest relationships are going to bring definition to our stories and to our lives. And that literally, that, that these people, their intent is to bring us down with them. So take a defensive posture. Be careful. And then he kind of puts his exclamation point on in verse 19 when he says this. And he's gone through this list of saying, man, they, they, follow, they only live to follow their own pleasures. Man, he talks about them being mockers and just really kind of being detestable people. And then he finishes it off with a statement in Jude 19. He says, they follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. They don't have God's spirit in them. So all they have is natural instincts. Like they're being led by their senses. They're being led by this, like this evolutionary draw. Like, you know, the, the what, is, what does evolution say? It says, this, you know, the, the power to the, the survival of the fittest. Yes, thank you for saving me there. The survival of the fittest. So I'm going to be the fittest. I'm just going to tear down everybody else. I'm going to take what I want. Because that's like the natural outcome of that whole survival of the fittest. It's my natural instinct. Why? Because they don't have a supernatural instinct. They don't have the spirit of God in them. Guess what? When you step into that circle of God's will, when you say yes to him, all of a sudden, you now begin to have a supernatural instinct because you have the spirit of God living in you. And so with the way that you used to look at life, you're like, why did I look at life like that? God's showing me a whole new way to look at life. You're supernatural. Yes. These people, they're only natural. And so for all of these reasons and more, please go and read that passage. Jude urges followers of Jesus to defend the faith to defend the gospel, to defend the boundaries of the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. He has two more statements that we're gonna look at before we're done. He says this in verse 20 and 21. After he's gone through this, defend the faith, it's urgent, and here's why. He says this, but you, dear friends, <laughs> must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the what? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe 
There it is again. In God's love. Three things Jude says we're to do here in the circle of God's will to provide safety in God's love. He says, build, build up each other's faith. Hopefully that's what we're doing now. When we gather on Sunday mornings, you guys, sometimes you've been living out, just doing work and living in your neighborhood and interacting with a whole variety of people. This may be your one best opportunity, right? To come together with other people who are on this journey of faith. To do what? To encourage one another in the faith. To say, yep, this is what we believe. Say, Joel and Veronica, Adiola family, this is what we believe. We believe that God's faithful. We believe that his promises are true. We believe that his mercy endures forever. Come on. We do it through song, we do it through the word, and we do it through the love that we share around a cup of coffee and a donut and hanging out and talking and praying for each other. Encourage one another. Then he says, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, which we can do because we're people who are supernatural. We have God's spirit within us. So we can pray, not just in our own natural means, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then again, there's this concept of mercy. He says to await the mercy of Jesus. To await the mercy of Jesus. I love that because at the beginning in verse two, he said, no, we should be experiencing the mercy, more and more mercy. We're to be experiencing it in our present day reality. But now he says, wait for it. You know that both things are possible, that we can already be experiencing the mercy of God like we talked about before. Like, oh man, I am free from the penalty that I deserve. But guess what, you guys? There's a day coming when the most beautiful and full uh, presentation of mercy is going to come, and that's when Jesus returns, brings us to heaven, and for eternity, we will be living outside the penalty, and that penalty never, never can return upon us. So we wait with hope for the fullest revelation of his mercy. Not good? And then there's this one last statement that he makes. We're gonna finish with this. Jude 22 and 23, now he gets into our mission. Check this out. After he just said, do these three things, right? Build each other up, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, wait with this hope. Then he says this, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. This is amazing, you guys, because not only are we called to experience God's mercy, than to await with hope for the mercy that is to come when Jesus returns. Not only are we to experience it and to await for it, we're to show it to the world. We're to show mercy. This, to me, is incredible. 
And Jude paints this very vivid picture of our mission. We're to rescue others from the flames of judgment. How do we do that? Showing mercy. Listen, what would it look like for you and I to be mercy showers? Listen, when I receive mercy, I'm not getting what I deserve. Right? Come on. Penalty, gone. No penalty. When, so when I receive mercy, I'm not getting what I deserve. So guess what it means to show mercy? Not giving others what they deserve. Not giving others. Who are those others? The very people that Jude has been talking about from verses four to 19, the ungodly. Those that we said, oh man, that sounds terrible to label, label people. And then he says, no, let me tell you, they're, they're really ungodly. Deniers of Jesus, stepped out of his authority, under his judgment and condemnation, waiting sorrow, really bad people who are gonna take your faith down with them if you're not careful in defending your faith. And then he says this, oh, but by the way, go after them. Go after them. Rescue them. We're not to just be, listen, this circle of God's will is not some like little holy huddle, like where we like hunker in the, in the God's will bunker, you know, like it's just us, keep all those other people out. No, he's saying this, get after them. Let me put it this way. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is beyond inclusive. Beyond inclusive. See, inclusive just means like, no, you can all come. No, this is beyond that because not only can y'all come, which by the way, y'all can come. We're to go out and go after them to rescue others from judgment. We've experienced the removal of penalty. Now we're to go out and to rescue others from facing penalty. You see, we don't defend the faith the way the world would defend the faith. Because they, they would just do it naturally, like with fists and arguments. They would get on TV and say bad things about other people. You never see that, do you? They might get on social media and start tearing other people down. You, you never seen that, have you? No, we don't get after it that way. You know how we defend the faith? Not the way the world would do it, the way Jesus would do it. And Jesus was the most inclusive human being who ever lived. He was God being labeled a sinner because he was so inclusive that he would go and hang out with people, oh, that didn't deserve it. The drunkards, the prostitutes, the cheaters, tax collectors, the people who were manipulating people of their own ethnicity. It was terrible what people were doing. And guess what? Jesus said, I'm here to rescue. I'm here to go after. Now, believe me, Jesus never was inclusive of sin. He was inclusive of people. And that's the same thing that Jude is saying. He'd be very careful, be very cautious. We're not talking about accepting sin, but man, we're talking about accepting other people. Realizing that just as we have needed mercy, guess what, friends? They need mercy. So 
Is this circle exclusive? Yeah, in the very best ways, most beautiful ways possible. But does that mean that we can't be inclusive? Absolutely not. In fact, we're to be beyond inclusive. We're to go after the other. We're to go after the ungodly just the way that Jesus did. And I think the remarkable thing that we see in the story of Jesus is that when Jesus hung out with people, the ungodly, you know what happened? Sin just began to shed from their lives like falling leaves in autumn, right? Zacchaeus, little cheater, manipulator. Jesus says, hey bro, I wanna hang out with you today. Immediately, Zacchaeus, what does he do? I, I, I'm not gonna cheat people anymore. In fact, I'm gonna return in, in, in excess, in overflow. I'm gonna return what I've stolen. Sin just begin to fall from people's lives. Maybe, maybe, maybe this idea of mercy, the word to experience, the word to await, and the word to show others, is gonna make all the difference in other people's lives, just as it has made all the difference in our own. What would it look like to be a church of mercy showers in Santa Maria? I'd be pretty excited to find out. Let's pray. My prayer is going to be the final two verses of Jude. Just close your eyes. Posture yourself to receive. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Jesus, we are so grateful. Lord, that we can experience you here and now, even as we await for your return. But Lord, in this here and now, we not only wanna be recipients of your grace, your love, and your mercy. Lord, we want to be people who that flows through our lives. May we be led to be people who show mercy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, empower us, Lord. Empower us, Jesus, to be people who reflect your love and your mercy. That others would be made safe. To live the lives, Lord, that you called them to live, that they might thrive, even as you've called us to thrive. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. Amen, amen. I'm gonna call our ministry team up. Listen, if you have not stepped across that boundary, if you've never said yes to Jesus, 
like profoundly. Like I need to say yes, I need to take a step. Listen, there, there's times when we'll just have people like, hey, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, raise your hand, right? And then there's other times it's like, no, you need a step. I think, listen, this whole series that we've been in about the circle of God's will, I think sometimes requires a step. Step across, move. Say yes to him. Say yes to his love and his mercy and his grace and all that he has for you. As we dismiss in a moment, I'm gonna just invite you to come. If you need to step across that boundary, come. Or if you need prayer just because of something going on in your story that man, you need someone to agree with you, to build you up in your faith, as we just read, to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. These people are gonna do that. So friends, have an amazing week being mercy showers, remembering that as the penalty has been removed from our lives, guess what? We get to extend that to others as well. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. And hey, on your way out, don't forget we're signing up for uh, sleep in heavenly peace, building beds in two Saturdays from nine to one. It's gonna be a great time together, showing mercy and love and grace to our community. It's gonna be awesome. And I uh, look forward to being here uh, with you to do that in two Saturdays, but sign up today. And don't forget about the bedding to bring next week. Church, your love, come and receive ministry and prayer. Have a great week.